once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. As Christmas has come and gone, we're grateful you made Perimeter part of your holiday journey. Lead teacher Jeff Norris concludes our Advent series with this Christmas Eve message entitled Seeing Jesus, which covers Matthew chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. All right, let me pray for us and then uh, we'll jump into our teaching. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for this season. Thank you for the great joy it is to be here in this moment at this time. We trust that every single person here watching in some capacity is, has been led here by you. It's certainly not by accident. So even now, would you open our ears to hear from you, soften our hearts that we may receive your word and give us eyes to see with eyes of faith the beauty of your son Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now this time of year, there's always so much to see and behold that's unique to the Christmas season. And, um, you know, I don't know if you're like us in terms of, I hope you're like us in terms of having Christmas traditions, things that you do every year with your family, with your kids, with your grandkids, so on and so forth. Something that we started many years ago, um, after the movie The Polar Express came out, we started uh, heading out every December, typically around the 21st, 22nd, 23rd, somewhere in that time frame. And back in the day when our kids were little, Rachel would uh, print out these tickets uh, and laminate them, and I would be the conductor of the Polar Express and walk up, and they had to hand me their ticket, and I had a hole punch, just like in the movie, and I had to punch their ticket and allow them to get into the Minivan Express, not the Polar Express. And we had popped popcorn and had hot chocolate, and that would usually spill in the van at some point, but we knew that was going to be part of it. And the kids absolutely loved it. Now the kids are older, and we're in the throes of teenage years, but we still do it. And I think they still like it, but we don't do all the, you know, the tickets and punching the tickets and all that. But we do go out together, and it's not in the minivan any longer. I guess it's the Honda Pilot Express now. And, uh, but we did. We did it a couple of nights ago. We drove around, and uh, we got hot chocolate at Dunkin' because we were too uh, lazy to make it at home. And, but we got our hot chocolate, and we went around, and we, uh, we watched and looked for lights all over uh, this area until we found exactly what we were looking for in terms of um, incredible lights that are amazing to look at. There's this word that shows up in the Bible um, many times over, and it actually shows up in the passage that was read for us earlier tonight that we'll be looking at just a couple of verses from. And the word is behold. Behold means to see, but more than seeing, it means to see and apprehend. And it's a seeing that typically comes on the back end of staring, gazing at, significantly pondering what you're looking at. For me, I love a wood-burning natural fire in my fireplace. I've lived in a number of houses over the years, and I'm telling you, if you have gas logs, you're missing out. It's not the same. There's something about a real fire, and I live in a house now that has a wood-burning fireplace, and one of my favorite things that I've been doing over the last three weeks, even if it's not cold enough, I'll open the windows to where it is cold enough, <laughs> and I will burn a fire almost every night just so that I can see it 
It's way more for me. It's, it's about the, seeing it than it is feeling the warmth. Now, there is, when it is cold, I do like that. But I can just behold a fire for a long time. The other night, I caught myself doing this. The TV is above the fire, hangs on the fireplace, and the TV was on, but I wasn't watching the TV. I was watching the fire, and the Christmas tree is right next to it. And I'm seeing the lights, and, the, and everything in the room is dark. All that's lighting the room is the Christmas tree, and the fire is going. So I guess it's lighting the room, too. And I mean, it's just, the wood is popping, which I know that good wood doesn't do that, so I probably had bad wood. But anyway, this is, this is part of the nostalgia, and I'm just staring at the fire. And I turned to Rachel, and I said, that fire is perfect. Look at that. I don't think she held what I held in my heart. She's like, yeah, that's great, babe. All right. You know, kind of moved on. But there's something about a fire, beholding it, taking it in. There's something about watching our kids and our grandkids open their presents on Christmas morning. As a kid, I used to hear people that were older than me say, there'll be a day when you like giving gifts more than you receive them. And I thought they were crazy. Like that's, why do old people say that? And now I'm that person. I'm like, wow, yes. I, what? You know, I, I forget, I truly forget that I'm going to get some presents as well because I love beholding, seeing, watching their joy, taking in that moment. But here's the thing that I want us to ponder for a few minutes. I want you to consider the reality that what typically happens for me and probably for you every Christmas is that it's so very easy to look And to see all the unique things to Christmas this time of year, but not see what we most need to see. Or to say it a different way, just one little change, one word change here, to not see who we need to see. Because we can get so enamored with all the things that we're beholding this time of year that we actually don't behold the one that this time of year is all about. And it sounds like such a cliche, oh man, of course, this is the the message on Christmas Eve. Uh, Because, of course, Jesus is the reason for the season, all these things. But I I want you to stick with me here because I want you to think about whether you're a Christian or not, that's what Christmas is about. The whole idea of Christmas never was intended to be about anything but Jesus. His birth, his incarnation, as we as Christians believe, that God came in the flesh. And the simple invitation of Christmas to you and me right now in this moment, throughout the day today, throughout the day tomorrow, and really for every day of the Christian life, but just right now in this moment, here's the simple invitation of Christmas. Come and see. Come and behold Jesus. This was the simple invitation to the shepherds. This was the simple invitation to the wise men. This was the invitation of this baby born in Bethlehem to all who would hear. Just come and see. Come and behold him. Stare at him. And the more you stare at him, the more you will see who he actually is. So if we're going to stare at Jesus, if we're going to behold him, then we have to consider briefly here, who is it that we're staring at? At whom are we staring? So two things that come straight out of Matthew 1 that we had read for us a moment ago. The first one is this. He's the one who saves his people. Right there in verse 21, it says this. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's a connection that's happening there that the original readers probably knew immediately. Because Jesus was actually a common name because it comes from the, uh, the Hebrew name Yeshua. And Yeshua was a very common name in, uh, throughout Israelite times. 
Yeshua, we know in English, is Joshua, and Joshua was the name that Jesus was taken from. And here's what that name means. It means, literally, God certainly saves. That's what the name of Jesus means. Another way that you can translate it is that Yahweh saves, the God of Israel saves. Another one is Jehovah, which is another name for God, Jehovah saves. So, so here's the point. Don't miss this. The mission of Jesus is encapsulated in his name. We don't have to wonder why he came. His name tells us why he came, to save his people from his sins. This is why the angel told Joseph, name him Jesus. Why? Because names always meant something in that day and time. I mean, we, we read this in the Old Testament. Sometimes there were names that were just crazy to us, like naming a child, you will no longer be my people. That was his name. But Jesus' name meant something, and it means God will certainly save. This Jesus, unlike any other Jesus, any other Joshua or Yeshua who had come before him, this one was declared by God, by the angel of the Lord, to be the one that was the long-promised Messiah who would save his people from their sins. You think about it. Jesus declared this much when he, in the middle of his teaching, in the middle of his ministry, in those three years that he conducted his ministry here on earth, he declared at one point, he said, I came to seek and to save the lost. He couldn't have made it any clearer for us. To bring those who are far from God, who don't know God, and bring them into the presence of God. Now, isn't this interesting? Because the curse of religion... The curse of religion is it tells us that we have to keep doing and trying and morally performing and spiritually doing all the various things that we have made. For many of us, we have considered church to be nothing more than a religious activity. And here's the curse of religion. The curse of religion is do as much as you possibly can. At the end of it, maybe you'll get into the presence of God. And that's horrible news. And it's not what the Bible teaches us. Because the horrible news of religion is try hard and you might get into the presence of God, but the good news of the gospel is that through Jesus, the presence of God has come to us. And he came to a people who are completely and totally incapable of, incapable of saving ourselves because technically there are two ways. We were talking about this before the first service this morning in our time of prayer beforehand. Our, our director of worship, Matt Means, was leading us in this time and he was saying to us, reminding us, hey, technically there's two ways to get to God. Two ways. One is impossible and the other is unthinkable. The impossible way is that you be perfect because the standard to be in the presence of God, both now and for eternity, is perfection. And we don't mean just behavior, moralistic perfection, because we might be able to deceive ourselves enough to think that we're actually doing it. But when the standard is not just what we do, but who we are, in our heart, in our motivations, in our will, in the very nature of who we are, the Bible teaches us that we're not sinful because of what we do, we're sinful because it's our nature. We're born into it. And so from the moment of our conception, we're actually born into a nature from our first parents, Adam and Eve, that rebels against God. So the first option is not even an option. We can't even begin to be perfect. But the second option, the, the second option is unthinkable, unimaginable. It's that God himself wouldn't demand upon us a standard that we could never keep and then keep us under that standard without offering his love and grace such that he would say, I'll come and do it 
for you. I'll take on flesh. I'll become human without losing my divinity. I'll be the God-man, and in so doing, I will achieve the perfect standard of the law, and I will be morally perfect, yes, but I will be in every intention and every nature of my being perfect before God the Father, and then I'll do something astonishing. I'll take the very penalty of sin that you deserve in your imperfection, and I'll place it on me as if it were mine. And my perfection and my righteousness, if you believe upon me as your sacrifice, I'll place it on you as if it were yours. All through this thing called faith. This is the essence of the gospel. The good news. Gospel means good news. That Christ came to us, that he condescended to us such that we could be with God. Jesus came to forgive us of our sins to forgive the sins of his people, to in this life take away the power and the penalty of sin through his death and his, and his resurrection, and in the life to come, totally take away the presence of sin. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. Can there be any greater news for me and for you, sinners like us? But the second thing that we learn very quickly in this declaration to Joseph from the angel is it says that he is the one who dwells with his people. He doesn't just come to save his people, but he comes to dwell with them. We've already hit on this, but I'll say it again. Read this part again. All this took place. This is verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet. Behold, there's this word, see, take in, gaze, be in awe of this reality. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. So his name is Jesus, but through the prophet, there were all these names given to this Messiah who would come that we now know his name is Jesus. And some of the names that were given to him were, that we read at the top of the hour, wonderful counselor, almighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But one of those from Isaiah here, Emmanuel, God with us. Three components to this. One, he has dwelt with us. We understand this to be when he came the first time and dwelt upon the earth. Then we see this written very clearly in John chapter 1. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So he came once, and he dwelt among us, and he did among us what we couldn't do, and he achieved salvation for us. But for the believer, for those who have believed upon Christ and trusted in him and his substitute and his death and his resurrection in their place as this Messiah, then he dwells with us now. Look at what Jesus told his disciples not long before he went to the cross. He said this, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Notice the H is capital there. He's talking about the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He says, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him. Watch this. For he dwells with you and will be in you. Spirit of the living God and dwelling every believer, even now. It's not just Jesus came and dwelt among us and, okay, that was great and awesome, but what do we do now? No, we have God's spirit in us, dwelling, giving us his power, his ability, his wisdom, 
His love, his compassion, his care, his mercy, his grace, all of it flowing through the life of a person whose heart is being transformed by this indwelling spirit of Christ himself. So he dwelt with us, he dwells with us, and we will dwell with him. Look at Revelation where it says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Christ came once to save us from our sins. He'll come again to eradicate the whole earth from sin and dwell with his people forever. Those who have believed upon him. This is what the Bible teaches. Do you see him? Are you beholding him? Are you believing upon him? It is so easy to miss him. Even when through his scriptures and really through the world around us, he's right in front of our face. I want, you, I want to show you just a quick example from many, many thousands of years ago of how easy it is to miss God when he's right in front of our face. You maybe have been in or, or around church long enough to, or, or even a little bit, to know the story of when God let his people out of slavery under the rule of Pharaoh in Egypt. And you probably know that part of the story is that as they led them, as Moses led the people out of Egypt, they get to a point where they approach the Red Sea and they're stuck. The sea is in front of them and and Pharaoh who had let them go has now decided to pursue them and bring them back. And there's something amazing that happens as they're in this predicament. Let's read in Exodus, it says this. It says, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. And they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Here's the point. God was very clearly visually with them. Like sometimes we can think, man, if God would just show himself to me, it would be so much easier. Well, they had that. They had the presence of God in the form of a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire with them every minute of every day, never departing from them, leading them out of slavery. But watch what happens. Watch what they do. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them and they feared greatly. What were they beholding? The presence of God is with them, fire, cloud, and they're not looking at God. They're not beholding God. They're not seeing God. What are they looking at? They're looking at, from their perspective, the certain doom that is being brought by their circumstances. And they fear greatly. And watch what Moses says. Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and behold, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Here's the point. We're a lot like those Israelites, those ancient people who we think, man, how dumb were they? The pillar of fire and the cloud, they knew God was going to protect them, but what did they do in the moment? They began to see and gaze at and behold something other than God such that it led them to despair. But when we begin to set our eyes by faith on who Jesus is, the one who came to save us from our sins, the one who came to dwell with us, the one who makes all things new. Then even in the midst of the magnitude of our circumstances, we don't miss the majesty of God. Maybe that's some of you this holiday season. Maybe you have allowed the magnitude of your circumstances to cause you to be blinded to the majesty of God. 
in the person of Jesus. And today, today is the day. Today is the day that you stand in awe as you behold Jesus and you watch the, the Lord work salvation in you today. We've prayed for that. We've prayed that God would open eyes to see the beauty of Jesus right here, right now, today. Many years ago, when my kids were little, we brought them over to the Georgia Aquarium. I've told this story before to the regulars around here, but I'll tell it one more time, very briefly. We ended our day, we ended our day by going into the theater there, which is a 4D theater. Who knew there was more than 3D? What it is is a 3D theater, but for the fourth dimension is that as things happen on the screen, you feel them. They blow wind upon you if it's windy. They shoot water upon you if you get splashed, those kind of things. We're in there watching this movie and all these people around me are reacting. And they're seeing something that I'm not seeing. I have the 3D glasses on, but nothing looks right. I'm watching this, I'm going, man, everything's fuzzy. And I, like, I just got sprayed, I don't even know why. Like, it's, what's going on here? And I'm a little slow. Right? It takes me a little bit, but I finally figure out, oh, these glasses don't work. They're not doing what they're supposed to do. And so I take, naturally, I take one of my kids' glasses and give them mine. <laughs> and I put, I put his on. And when I put his glasses on, it was like, oh, now I see what they were seeing. I get it now. Now, it only lasted for a few seconds because he grabbed it back, and I was stuck with faulty glasses the rest of the show. But I saw it, and I got it. Oh, this is what it's all about. You may be looking around at people who are Christians and go, you people are crazy. What are you seeing, this invisible God you worship? My prayer for you is that God would give you those glasses of faith, as it were, to see him this Christmas to behold him, the one who forgives sins, the one who dwells among us. Father, would you give us the ability to see? Would you open our eyes and give us faith to be enraptured, as it were, with the person of Christ? For many of us, if we're honest, we've been beholding all kinds of things that we know are not you and we know where it's leading us. And this is the day. This is the day where we turn our eyes to you and we worship you for who you are. Would you do a work among us? Even as we go home from here and have our different celebrations and eat and open presents and all the things, God, by your grace in our hearts, Make it about you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.